0: Land there, but we're looking at uh, multi user virtual environments uh, for teaching and learning. So, probably the most famous one is Second Life. So, if you know about that, you, you know a little bit about these things, but that's not all we're using. We've got uh, a team of people from all around the UK uh, as the project team, and we're also using, as well as Second Life, things like OpenSim, uh, Darkstar, as well. So, it's not just Second Life. Um, so the thing about this kind of area is that it's it, not everybody's seen this area. It, it's quite unusual. Not everybody's been in these environments. And so I wanted to start by showing you a little three minute video that will give you an idea of the activity that we've done in the first phase of the project. Now, to do this, I'm going to have to do a little bit of a lighting thing. So I short. No we've some real philosophy, actually. This has worked actually really quite well. Uh, Kim says she can't sit down the right way around. She's sitting on the Right. OK, so I hope you can see that without showing you that video, it's very difficult to get across exactly what we're doing with the project. That's, a, that's an example of what those environments are like. And every single avatar, as they're known, that was wandering around in there was controlled by a real person on a computer. Uh, with one group of students, they were all in the same room. With the philosophy students, they were actually at a distance. So these are some of the ideas that are, are lying behind the project. Um, when we were thinking about multi-user virtual environments, we realised that there were two sort of main zones where they might potentially be useful for teaching and learning. On one side, the user-generated content. On the other side, social presence. And that fitted quite nicely with working with art and design students. These a first-year undergraduate art and design students based at Leeds Met- Metropolitan University who can meet face-to-face. And on the other side, social presence... We're working with online distance philosophy students who have done our online distance courses here at Oxford. So in both scenarios, there's tutors involved. And you can see on uh, the user-generated content side, the art and design students, clearly, they're going to be interested in building things and using these environments as kind of a a tool of their trade. Uh, Whereas on the social presence side, it's more about people getting together and discussing and communicating. And so the question there is, Does being realized as one of these avatars in one of these spaces, does that actually help you get together and discuss things, or does it get in the way of it? Does the sense of engagement, embodiment, and the sense of presence that you get from being in these environments help you discuss your subject better, in simple terms? So coming out of the project, it's useful to, to be clear about this. We're actually trying to produce guidelines, exemplars, these things. We're not trying to produce new clever technology. We think there's, that, that there's enough technology in this area already. We're actually just trying to work out how to use it. And the, some of the techniques that we're using uh, are listed here. As you can see, it, it's, it's quite a sort of social science-y approach, okay? There's a lot of social style, cultural issues that come out of using these environments because you're being sort of rendered as a person. Um, Somebody described it not as virtual reality, but as good enough reality. So it seems that when you're in these environments, your your sense of the reality of the environment is just good enough that it triggers you into this psychological mode. So for example, when I'm in these environments, I don't like standing too close to another person. I don't like facing away from a person when I'm talking to them. It's difficult to say why that is, because it's just dots on a screen. So the first set of students we were working with, the art and design students up in Leeds. And here's a kind of 360 of the room that they were in. So it's a, it's a fairly standard its a room full of computers. And there were students working at the computers. I think probably the only, the only major difference maybe is that the tutors are sat in the middle there, waiting to see if they can help people out. There's nobody at the front of the class there's nobody doing what I'm doing at the moment, which is pointing at a screen and saying how this stuff works. Because they have quite an in-at-the-deep-end pedagogy, so they wanted to carry on with that. And this is really what that room looks like in Second Life, which, which is what we're using. Um, it's, it, I'll just lower the lights a little bit, so hopefully you can see that a little bit better. Is... This area is actually blocked into into little squares, and each of the students had their own square, so you can see all these little projects building there, and they're sort of halfway through building them there. Um, And this is what actually happens in the room, an awful lot of people pointing at screens and trying to explain things, I mean that's the reality of this sort of teaching. So an example of one of the activities that we did, and um, again that's not particularly clear on this screen, is a bridge building activity where we put the students into pairs and asked them to try and build a bridge over a ravine that we'd created, so a collaborative building activity. And then having built the bridge, we switched all the physics on and half of them collapsed, which in actual fact the students weren't very happy about, they were quite annoyed about that. And one of the things we found was that it's quite difficult to collaborate at that level. It's quite difficult to share building in that sense. And a lot of the collaboration that went on in this pilot was not actually at the level of, of, of moving blocks around and uh, one by one, but more the students using the environment to communicate with each other uh, so that they could then do a project together. So if you like, the collaboration was more at the level of chatting than it was at the level of building. So I just want to go through some of the points that that we're beginning to learn from phase one of the project. We're we're halfway through the project, so we can't say we know exactly what's going on yet, but there have been some interesting things that have come out of it. So with the art and design um, pilot, we found that they found it very easy to build, but they found socialising was quite frightening. So if you like, the multi-bit of the multi-user environment was the bit that phased them, rather than the ability to build. Now, when people talk about these environments, they generally imagine if you imagine a kind of skills um, pyramid, they, imag- they, they generally sort of say that uh, walking around, talking, communicating are at the bottom of that pyramid, and it goes up to an apex with building at the top, i.e., building is the most difficult thing you can do. Well, we didn't find that to be true because rather than throwing people straight into Second Life where there's a whole bunch of other people in there to begin with we used OpenSim which you can see over here and OpenSim is a, an open source version of Second Life which gave us the ability to initially give each student one island each so if you like they were in a single user virtual environment and we just said there's the build buttons carry on they started building very very easily very very quickly and this guy has built that within about two minutes of starting the pilot Then we linked the islands together, so suddenly there was somebody else on the island with them. It was somebody else who was in the same physical room as them, and uh, we we asked them to play some games. So here's a a bizarre effect that you get in these environments. We said, play hide-and-seek. One of the students decided to actually type in the counting as they played hide-and-seek, even though the person was sat next to them. And it did cause a little bit of confusion because they weren't sure whether they should be communicating through the environment or just turning around and talking to the person next to them, which I think some of us probably get with email as well and the phone. So that can happen in a variety of technologies. Then we put them into Second Life and we lost them, we just completely lost them because when you start in Second Life, you go onto a tutorial island where everybody else is trying to learn Second Life as well, and there's all sorts of crazy characters in there. And everybody, when they go in there, get very paranoid about their appearance and about whether they look like they're experienced or not. Nobody likes to look like a, a, a noob and a kind of new person in the environment. So we totally lost the students, and they spent half an hour rearranging their hairstyles and trying to make them look better. Now, the, so, the way social capital works in these multi-user virtual environments, especially Second Life, is almost entirely based around how elaborate your hairstyle is. And so when you go in there, you want to create, this, you want to create a beautiful hairstyle, otherwise you think you look like a novice. Now, i put this rather odd exchange down here, because in some ways, it, it sums up what's unusual about these environments. I was uh, interviewing a couple of the students through Second Life and asked, have you got any other thoughts there? Thoughts. And one of them said, yeah, I really like your hat. Now, I don't think there's any other space on the internet where you're going to get that response. And the point is that he respected the fact that I had a good hat, and he was also talking about my physical appearance, if you, well, not physical, but my virtual appearance. And somewhere contained in that sentiment is, is, is what makes these environments powerful, and also what makes them confusing to you. So, from a teaching and learning perspective, what we found is that it's useful to, to try and separate out, or at least be aware of the difference between social uh, challenges that, that, uh, of, of going into an environment where there are other people you don't know, and, the, and what I term the practical, i.e. things like building, the things that you want to do in the environment. Sometimes they get mixed up and they hit a student all at once, or any user all at once, and that's what makes it challenging. So a game of the art and design uh, pilot, They had, uh, the students had this interesting relationship between the, well there was this tension between them liking the idea that they were in an environment that had its own culture and there were lots of other people in there and the fact that they didn't know who those other people were and what they were about. So if you read those two quotes you can see that tension there. And I think that there's... I think that there's something in that, especially even, even uh, when you think about the wider web uh, with you know, things like Facebook and YouTube and these kind of uh, participatory sort of community social network sort of softwares, is that there is an advantage to the fact that there's a whole bunch of other people in there. On this screenshot here, you can see I've opened what's called a mini-map. This represents me. And that, all these green dots represent other people. So if I turned round, there'd be 20 other people there. I don't know what they're going to look like and I don't know who they are. So it's a little bit nerve-wracking. But I think it's important that as uh, educational institutions that we don't panic about that and build our own version of Second Life that only has our 20 students in it, because you'll lose something. You'll lose the opportunity for other people to come in and other people to see your work. So as you can see, the fact that they knew that there was green dots out there, they only needed to know that there were green dots out there. They didn't care who they were. They didn't even have to see them. It was just the concept that there were green dots out there motivated them to build, because they thought they had a potential audience. Okay, so moving on to the philosophy pilot. Um, Again, this is a little bit dark, but there's there's a hinge here. (laughs) With philosophy students sat around a campfire, which they quite like. They like that sort of primitive layout. Uh, so that's what the uh, that's what the philosophy um, pilot looked like in Second Life. The philosophy students, as I say, online distance students, predominantly of retirement age. Okay, so so perhaps not what you'd think would be the classic group for these kind of technologies. Although I think that that's a bit of a, a misnomer anyway. Um, so they'd group together around the henge to discuss things, and, and, the, and this was led by a tutor. So there was a brief given beforehand, and then they'd come in and have a tutor-led discussion. We also split into small groups, uh, which worked really well because, it, because it's a kind of physical environment. There's a kind of geography to it, and so splitting into small groups was really, really useful. So there's actually a small group of people up here, and then there's another group of people down here. And what the tutor could do was actually wander between the two groups as you would do in a physical classroom and sort of listen in to each group uh, as she went and contribute to that discussion. Now, I've just put that in there just in case you're falling asleep. Um, that's, that's a shot of World of Warcraft. As a subpart of the project, we, uh, we've been looking at uh, the massively multiplayer online game. So it's still multiple people online realised in 3D, but it's a game. Um, because the game is brilliant at drawing people into it and teaching them how to use a very, very complicated piece of technology without them really realising, because the last thing you want to do when you hit a game like this is have to learn an awful lot of sort of buttons and clicks and windows, etc, etc. So what we were doing was we were looking at the game and looking at the kind of techniques that it used to help train new people without them really realising it and seeing if we could extract them and use them in Second Life, because in some ways Second Life is a little bit like a blank canvas of a game like World of Warcraft. One of the main things that came out of this was the idea of questing. So if you create small quests for students, then it's a great mechanism to help them learn certain aspects of the environment. So for example, in Second Life, instead of teaching them how to build a a cube and then how to put another cube on top of another cube, and then how to put a texture on the cube, you just get the students and you say, we're going to have a competition to see who can build the tallest tower in the next 10 minutes. And so the focus is on, is on that sort of game, which is quite good fun. But to do that, obviously, they've got to learn all these techniques. The other aspect that's interesting like this is you'd hope that the person on the other end of this character didn't look like that. Okay? You'd, you'd make the assumption that they're playing a role. And one of the reasons that, they, that they're playing a role is because they, they might look a little bit peculiar, but also because they're, they're, they're a mage. So in this case, they're a mage and there's a background to the character. You're, you're stepping into a role, if you like, and you're playing that role within the overall narrative of the game. Whereas in Second Life, if let's say I'm a student who's logging on to uh, a philosophy discussion, am I playing a role? Um, is, is the avatar me, or is it something i 'm controlling? You know if the avatar makes a mistake or if I make a mistake with an avatar, is that bad for me? Uh, I think you probably saw in that video where somebody accidentally sat through somebody else 's lap. That did cause some embarrassment, and you 've got to ask the question why and I, th- I think one of the answers is because the as i've put down here, the avatar is like an anthropomorphized ambassador for the person who 's controlling it okay and one of the things that can go wrong in these environments, one of the things that we had trouble with, was that the avatar—it looks—that's one of my avatars there. That's the hat that I referred to before. Um, one of the one of the problems that you could have is quite often the avatar just like a china doll; it doesn't emote, it doesn't have expressions. And in an educational scenario, sometimes it's important for you to know what the student's feeling like, you know, and that's easy to do in a face-to-face scenario. It's quite difficult to do in this scenario because the student might be frustrated, they might be thinking, they might be happy, they might be trying to make a point, but all the time, they might be blind drunk, you know, but all the time the, the avatar's just there very prim and, pu- um, and proper. And this little exchange at the bottom was, was, at, was typical of that problem in that uh, the tutor was worried that, uh, one of, that one of the students was stuck or confused, but in actual fact he was just thinking. Uh, uh, but you couldn 't tell he was thinking because he 's just there like that as, as his avatar, and so w- this comes down to this idea that somebody called emotional bandwidth, which is that even though a lot of the communication is via text, it seems to me that, that, that human beings like to reappropriate methods of communication to make them more emotive and, and, and the the emoticon is, is a perfect example of that that 's why I put that one on the end there uh, now. Bizarrely, even though you're realised as a three-dimensional character that sort of looks, maybe looks a little bit human, doesn't have to, that emotional connection isn't there. And, and, and that's important when you're teaching, especially a small group of uh, students. So one of the things we're thinking of doing is creating a set of, I'm calling them, edu-gestures. Gestures like, I'm thinking, or I'm terribly confused. I mean, they will be, pre- they will be pretty basic. So that, that will just help to make that connection between the student and the teaching that's going on, rather than just having people frozen. Uh, and that's, the, that's one of the scenarios whereby you... I mean, it, with a scenario like that, you, re, you really begin to realise that it is quite a, a kind of social environment in the sense that, that that was definitely wrong. That was not a good thing to do and did cause some embarrassment. And the female avatar there logged off immediately afterwards. And I haven't found out whether it's because her computer crashed or because she was terribly embarrassed. She did come back again, I'm glad to say. So the last sort of uh, theoretical point that's, that's coming out of uh, the philosophy side of the project is this idea of controlling the flow. When you're in these environments, people tend to choose to text chat. Okay? So despite the fact that you've got all these beautiful 3D characters, you're actually spending a lot of time chatting in a text window that's, that, that's to one side. Now that's not to say that there isn't a connection between those two things okay so when you type a comment to someone and click enter you look at their avatar and I'm not quite sure why but you do you you still connect the you connect the person with the avatar with their text and there's a a problem with text chat in that it can become very fractured uh, and also if people aren't used to it they'll try and write too much stuff in so we had a scenario where Uh, we said uh, we want everybody to respond to the question in hand and we'll go around the group and get everybody's initial responses to it. So the tutor uh, asked the small blue dragon on her right, who was the first student, to respond to the question. And he started typing, and in Second Life you can see them typing. They do this, and he carried on typing and we were all looking at him and he carried on typing and, and we realised we didn't know how long he was going to take, he could have been typing an essay because this is philosophy after all and eventually he hit enter and this, this huge paragraph hit the screen and it was just kind of the wrong it wasn't the wrong method of communication, it, it was just a slightly uncomfortable method of communication so then what we did, we said everybody write at the same time and hit enter when we go around it's, one of the, it's an example of a tiny technique that's quite useful And then there was a period of about two minutes where everybody's just like that, which was a little bit unusual to watch, but it did work a little bit better. And I think what a lot of this comes down to is text chat etiquette, but also good, old-fashioned, good quality tutoring skills. As the tutor got in the second session that we ran the tutor got the, got the hang of controlling this in the same way that she's very good at doing it in a real life scenario the ability to control the flow of a discussion in a text chat window is very similar to your ability to do it in real life you have to make sure that you draw the people in who aren't, who aren't uh, responding to the debate you have to make sure that one person doesn't take over completely you have to make sure it doesn't go off topic and you have to sort of pick people up if they confuse the, the debate And so. A lot of the pedagogical issues that we had on the philosophy side of the project were actually more to do with text chat and, you, and, a, and a tutor's ability to control a discussion than they were with Second Life itself. Again, a little bit like the art and design pilot, our problem wasn't with building, which was supposed to be difficult, it was actually with the sort of social side of it. With the uh, philosophy pilot, our problem was that the challenges were with text chat and with the, uh, the, the tutor's ability to control the flow of discussion. So, off the back of this, we realised, and and you can see from these quotes, which I'm sure you've been reading, that uh, we need to balance the reflective and the dynamic formats. And I'm not sure if this is a good or a bad thing to say, really. The students figured this out, okay, (laughs) without our help. So, after we'd finished the pilot... The students liked the environment so much that a number of them just carried on arranging debates and discussions which they're still having weekly in Second Life using the same uh, space, the same island. And the way that they managed that was they started a Facebook group up which was an offshoot of a larger Facebook group that we run for our online distance students when they they leave our courses. And what they do is they'd set up the topic and they'd discuss the topic so they'd give it some sort of context that they wanted, this is the topic that they wanted to discuss. Then they dive into Second Life at a particular time, have a very intense debate, and then they take the text chat log out of Second Life, post it back in the Facebook group, and then have a discussion about the discussion. So it's like it's bookended. You have, these ref- you have a reflective time, a very dynamic time, and then more time for reflection at the end. And that seemed to work very well. That's how we're going to run our second phase of philosophy pilot. So, I haven't got findings, I've got thoughts because, it's, because we're still halfway through and I think findings would be too strong a word at this point. Um, it is a complex combination of social and pedagogical issues. Some of you won't believe me because you haven't been in these environments, <laughs> but it genuinely has got a kind of social aspect to it. There's a culture in these uh, places whereby I get a lot of respect for having a floating hat. I'm not saying it's a brilliant culture but nevertheless there are social issues that people that you have to be aware of if you're going to use these environments to teach Um, it's quite disquieting to be in a multi-user environment because you don't know who the other people are and you you feel you're not quite sure what it takes to be skilled in the environment and you're not quite sure how skilled the other people are and you don't know where they're coming from and you don't know who they are and some of them look very very peculiar and a lot of them have very elaborate hairstyles um, some of the teaching issues aren't new, so I mean, that's, that's quite a nice thing to find out, that we're not grappling with technology. The technology isn't necessarily getting in the way. If you want to teach a good session, you just need to be a good teacher. There are other issues as well, but that's quite a major aspect of it. This technology will not make you into a better teacher. That's not too surprising. Um, I think that just talking about the, the reflective and the dynamic back then, I think that the, the social aspect could be very, very useful, especially for online distance students. We're getting pretty good at doing the, the learning aspect of online distance learning. But for an online distance student, it, it can be a slightly isolating experience, um, just tapping away into a forum at home or at work, and certainly this environment that when the students are in there, they joke around, you feel like you've been in a space with other people. So, that there might be an opportunity there for this kind of environment to help you feel like you're part of a cohort with other people, even if you're at a distance. That's a specifically sort of distance sort of issue. There's a question is this the closest thing we have to an online tutorial environment? I, you know, it's, there's a question mark there, deliberately. Um, the way that some of the kind of scenarios and some of the happenings and events that I've seen take place across these two pilots, the way that they've come across has this kind of hybrid, as I've said, social and educational feel to it, which it could be you could say is similar to a seminar or a tutorial. And so if you can find a way of building this technology into other... Pedagogical structures like virtual, le- like um, courses based in a virtual learning environment, or other face-to-face courses, uh, uh, face-to-face environments, teaching scenarios, it could be quite useful for that. Okay, so that I'm going to finish off there. I'm not quite sure how long I've taken. I've taken slightly too long. Tara, <laughs> apologies for that. Um, that's the website for the project, and that's my email address. So if there are any questions, I can take them now.